turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 16 today. Luke chapter 16. And so Stefan was going to go on a vacation and he had it all booked and everything worked out. And he knows that it's bittersweet because his friend's son passed, but through his organ, Stefan is able to live. So the father is, you know, he's encouraged. And so it, it's bittersweet. And so Stefan said to him, he said, well, I have a vacation that's already booked, planned. And uh, he said, why don't you and your wife take my vacation? That's the least that I can do for you. And y'all, I'm trying to tell you, you, you just can't beat God in giving. You just... So he can go, this man, and grieve well over his son, but also know that his son contributed to his friend living. You can't write this kind of stuff. Only God, oh my. I got my sister Casilda Harrison in the house this Sunday, so y'all better watch out. I don't know. All I need is a little bit of help. I got my homeboy, Brother Russell. He's in the house. Good to see you, my man. Luke chapter 16. Now, the Apostle Paul told us not to look at things that are seen, but to focus on things that are not seen. Because remember, we're saved by faith. We're to walk by faith. And faith is, being, is the substance of things hoped for, but the evidence of things not seen. So faith doesn't have to do with the natural senses. So Paul says, don't look at what is seen, because the things that are seen are temporary. Do your best to look at what is not seen, because the things that are not seen are eternal. And when we can get that right focus, he then says, for our light momentary afflictions are working in us a far and exceeding weight of glory. So don't focus on the natural, focus on the spiritual. So today we're going to take a peek into the spiritual world. We're going to take a peek into the eternal through a parable that Jesus told. So let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help us to see with spiritual eyes and to hear with spiritual ears. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for making us a chosen generation and a royal priesthood a peculiar people who have been called out of darkness and into your marvelous light. Thank you, Lord, that we are seated with Christ right now in heavenly places. You're the God who knows the end from the beginning, and it's already done. We know that we're more than conquerors because of Jesus. We thank you that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, never ever to be erased. May we walk, therefore, in confidence in the finished work of Jesus. Forgive us for when we try to add to your work with our so-called deeds 
and performance-based acceptance. Forgive us. You want all of the glory. Not by works, no one is going to boast. But because you worked for us, now you're working in us to will what you want for us and then to do it with the help of the Spirit of God. Holy Spirit, be our teacher. Be our guide. We just don't want to hear something and say amen. We want the word to go deep into our hearts to produce fruit. And also, Lord, we want the word that we may be able to stand against the lies of the enemy. So today, may the word of God break yokes today. May the truth set us all free because the truth ultimately is found in Jesus, the word of God. For it's in his name that I pray. Amen. Luke chapter 16, as we take a peek into eternal things, into the invisible realm. The Pharisees thought that they loved God, but in reality, they didn't love God. They loved money, and they loved themselves. They loved the applause of the people. The Pharisees, as I mentioned, thought they loved God. And they thought that they used money. But in reality, they loved money and they used God. But God will not be mocked. Because Jesus knows the hearts of men, unlike us, He's able to speak piercing words to the hearts of men because he loves them and he wants them to repent. Because Jesus knows that loving money is dangerous. He said in verse 14 of Luke 16, or rather it says of the Pharisees, it says, now the Pharisees who were lovers of money also heard all these things and they derided him or they chided him. They made fun of him because this was a poor preacher from Galilee and who was he to try to upstage them and correct them with parables and stories about having money in its proper place. And so Jesus, because he loved them, he wanted to aim specifically at their heart to deal with the fact that they had put money ahead of God. They loved money and loving money can be dangerous because it can make you rob God when you love money. When we don't give him what is rightfully his, we rob him. We steal from him. When you love money, it has a tendency to make you lie to God. That's what Ananias and Sapphira did. They lied to the Holy Spirit about money. And it ended up costing them their lives. When you love money, it'll make you forget God. And when you love money, it'll even make you betray God. Ask Judas. The love of money, according to Paul, is still the root to all kinds of evil. So when you put money ahead of God, you can find yourself doing anything like Selling humans, buying humans. And you'll even try to put the name of Jesus on it. 
You'll enslave humans because of money. You will oppress humans because of the love of money, which is the root of all evil. You'll even kill humans over money. And that's why Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he were to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? There are things more important than money. For God, people are important to him. More important to him than money. Which is why, once again, when God redeemed us, he did not redeem us with corruptible things like silver and gold. But when he redeemed us, he redeemed us by the precious blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Because God loves people, but we end up loving money more than we love people. But God says, let me tell you how much I think about money, because the gold is mine, the silver is mine. Here's what I think about it. We're going to walk on it when we get to heaven. We're just going to walk on streets of gold. But too often, we allow money in this life to walk on us. And so Jesus, because he loved the Pharisees, he had a word for them. Knowing the power that the money had over them, he told this parable that we call the rich man and Lazarus. A couple of weeks ago, I started in this parable, and I couldn't finish it. So we're picking up today with what we may call part two. And I'll move as quickly as I can. But we'll be reminded from our previous lessons that a parable is a simple story with a central meaning. Many offshoots in a parable. But any good speaker, when he or she speaks, there's usually going to be one thing that the whole thing is saying. They used to say to me in seminary that if you can't preach your sermon in one minute or less, you don't know your sermon. You ought to be able to simplify it. I am still working on that in the name of Jesus. The central meaning of this parable we're going to get back into today is that possessing wealth does not mean that one will possess eternal life. Because the Pharisees thought, as some people think today, that having money is a sign of godliness. Being wealthy is a sign of God's favor. And so Jesus wanted to dispel that erroneous teaching by letting people know that eternal life is attained when one possesses faith in God. That's why Jesus said a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Well, what does life consist in? That one knows and fears and understands God. It's not about the size of your bank account. It's about the size of your God and how he works in your life. And the proof that you have a relationship with God, here it is. This may get me stoned in other churches. But it won't get me stoned here. The proof that you have a relationship with God is seen in how you love and treat people, especially poor people. Now, you would think I was aiming this morning based on what transpired in the halls of Congress this past week with the new bill, Trump Care, coming to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act. And this is not a political pulpit. This is God's pulpit, but we deal with politics through the word of God. Because the Bible talks a whole lot about politics, so we're not afraid to talk about politics. We just don't need to leave it at the table over lunch 
and all that when we talk. But no, we can talk about some of that stuff here. We won't be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. So we're going to talk about this. And as usual, I'll walk the tightrope of neutrality at Strong Tower Bible Church because we've got people on both sides and, and all of that stuff. So I'm not here to take a side because my God came to take over. I'm just going to try my best to just put some stuff out there to rattle your cages just a little bit because some of us are more Southern than we are Christian, but not in this church. Some of us are more conservative than we are Christian. We're more political than we are a disciple of Jesus. And if we're not careful, that stuff will lead us to hell. Jesus is going to confront these Pharisees in such a way where he is going to infuriate them because of what he's implying or better yet stating through this parable because the rich man represents the Pharisees or the religious people and the Pharisee is going to end up going to hell in this parable. So please buckle up and let's have a good time. Luke chapter 16, beginning at verse 19, Jesus said, because the words are in red, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Now, let's stop right there. Lazarus, because Jesus gives his name, the only parable where Jesus gives a personal name of one of the participants already stating how Jesus gives dignity and honor to the poor, who are often the unnamed people in society, the overlooked people in society. But when Jesus preached, he says, let me give this man a name, Lazarus, and that name means God is my help. We see in verse 22 that there's the eternality of the human soul. For when Lazarus died, he did not cease from living. He continued to live. So there was no annihilation of his soul. There was no extinction of the human soul. But what happened was there was a separation, as Elder Aubrey said earlier, where his soul or his spirit left his body. The body went to the earth and the spirit went to, as we see here, to Abraham's bosom. So because we were made in the image of God as humans, our souls will live forever as a communicable attribute of God, the eternal one who lives forever. The difference between us and God is that God has no beginning, but we have a beginning because he created us in time and space. But like God, we will have no end. We will live forever. So when Lazarus died, he continued to live. So death is not a period. As some folks say, it's just a comma. 
Your soul, your spirit is going to live forever. And the question is, where will your soul live? If you notice, there's no mention here of reincarnation. As you read here, there's no mention here of a little holding place called purgatory where other folk could give the church some money to maybe shorten your time in this holding place. No, no, no. Jesus didn't talk about neither one of those things because when this man died, the angels came and escorted his soul, his spirit to Abraham's bosom. The Jews used Abraham's bosom, Strong Tower, as a metaphor of heaven. Abraham was the father of the Jews. He was also the father of faith. The Bible says that Abraham believed God and God credited righteousness unto him. So righteousness comes through belief. And Abraham believed before the sign of circumcision came or even before the law of Moses came. So salvation is not a part of the works of the law, of keeping the law, which is impossible, or getting the sign of circumcision. Justification, being declared right with God, only happens by grace through faith. Abraham believed and God put righteousness in his spiritual bank account and God saves people the same way this side of Calvary. Faith in Christ apart from work. And so the Jews called this man the father of faith. And so to see Lazarus in verse 22, in Abraham's bosom, and then later we'll read the rich man, that secular text called Dives, he looks up and he sees Lazarus chilling in Abraham's bosom. And what this means is that he's got the best seat in heaven. I mean, Abraham, the father of faith, that little old Lazarus is right there in his bosom. I mean, that's the, the last down here shall be first over there. So Jesus is preaching. Again, that ain't even the main point of the parable. It's just one of them side roads, but you got to get off the side road and get back on the main road because your time is ticking. Now, in the Old Testament, the word Sheol, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, the word Sheol was used 65 times to speak of the unseen realm of the dead. It could be used, Sheol, Sheol, positively or negatively depending upon the context. For instance, here are some positive uses of Sheol, the place where the spirits of men and women went upon death. Here are the positive uses of this word. In Genesis 37, 35, 42, 38, and 44, 29, the old patriarch Jacob would always say to his children that worked his nerves sometime, he said, y'all going to bring my gray head down to Sheol. Well. What that means is you're going to bring my gray head down to the grave. Y'all going to make me die an early death up in here. But because he was a patriarch, that was spoken of in a positive sense because when this man of faith died, that was a good thing. So Sheol, positive. Psalm 16.10. It's a psalm of David, but it speaks prophetically of the Messiah, Jesus. Speaking after the death of Jesus, that God would not leave his soul in Sheol. 
that God would not leave his soul in the grave whereby he would suffer decay. So if a body stays in the grave past three days, it's going to suffer decay. So as Jesus' soul left his body, what he was saying was that God was not going to leave my soul in Sheol so that my body would decay in the grave. But I would rise again and find myself in the presence of the Lord where there is fullness of joy. So Psalm 1610 speaks of Sheol in a positive place. Sheol was in the middle of the earth where the souls of the righteous dead went to upon death. You say, Pastor, how do you know it was in the middle of the earth? Well, when Samuel had died, in 1 Samuel chapter 28, he was a prophet. Saul was the king, and he was on his way out. And he went to a medium or a witch in order to have a seance so that Samuel could come up. It mentions this several times in 1 Samuel 28 that he came up. And so he used an ungodly means, a wicked means, an evil means, to get a final word from the prophet Samuel. And when the witch brought Samuel up from the earth, Samuel was like, why are y'all disturbing me up in here? I left this place. I left the land of the dead to go to the land of the living. Why y'all disturbing me? And so he starts prophesying to Saul, and he says to Saul, matter of fact, brother, you're going to be with me, you and your sons, tomorrow in this same spot. So what we need to see is that he came up from the earth. Now, let me put a pin in this right here, because I got to confront the lies of the devil. Don't move your membership after I say this. Saul did die the next day. He died in battle. You know how he died? He ended up taking his own life, meaning that he committed suicide. He fell on his own sword when his own armor bearer wouldn't slay him. He fell on his sword. So what that means is that when people who know God take their lives for whatever reason, they do not go to hell. They go into the presence of the Lord. I'm talking about people who know Jesus. Because all that stuff about, well, if you take your life, you don't get a chance to confess your sin. That's a lie. You can't confess all your sins. You'd be here all day throughout every day, and you still wouldn't get them all. Jesus paid for all of that stuff. Once and for all, paid for, done. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God, not even suicide. And I just got to say that to somebody, not for you to go out easily and take your life. No, no, no. You need some encouragement. You need some counseling. You need to rebuke the liar. I'm talking to parents who've had to bury children. I'm talking to people who have a brother or a sister suffering from mental illness who've taken their lives. And you're wondering, where are they at? Well, Saul was with Samuel. And wherever Samuel was, that was a good thing. Sheol, the grave. So the righteous dead, they rested in Abraham's bosom. Oh, you're going to love this. Or as Jesus would later call it, paradise. Abraham's bosom, then paradise. Because he told that thief on the cross who didn't join the church, who didn't speak in tongues, who didn't get baptized. He told that thief. When the thief just said, remember me, Lord, when you go into your kingdom. That's all he said. 
And Jesus said to him, today, you will be with me in paradise. Where I'm going, you can come with me. Jesus says, I'm going to be in paradise. His body went in the ground and his soul went into paradise or Sheol, the air-conditioned side. Hang with me. Don't go nowhere. Don't go nowhere. The air-conditioned side. That's, That's where Jesus went for three days. And he went, and obviously he saw all of the Old Testament saints who were in Abraham's bosom and who were in paradise. But I got good news because the question is, and Chauncey and I, we've talked about this over the years, man, where is paradise now? If it was in the earth, where is it now? Well, according to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, he had this out-of-body experience where he says, I was caught up to paradise to the third heaven. So let me tell you what Jesus did, my Savior. When he got up from the grave and when he ascended to the farm, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 that when Jesus ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. So we know he poured out the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost as a result of him ascending. But before he poured out the Holy Spirit to us, to the church, he led captivity captive. In other words, he had some spoils of war in his train. Because whenever a king would march back home, he would have behind him the people that he conquered in his train, the captivity behind him. But Jesus came to set the captives free. He's bound us with his love. And so when he ascended back into heaven, when he left paradise, he took paradise with him in his train, in his triumphal train, and he went up to heaven because he didn't go see his father until he had ascended. And when he ascended, he took all them folk that was in Abraham's bosom with him. When I close this sermon, I'm going to ask you a question. Where do Christians go when they die? Oh, just hang on. So the Jews believed that Sheol had two compartments. The compartment for the righteous people was called the grave, Abraham's bosom, or paradise. But the compartment for the unrighteous dead was called Hades, hell, and the pit. So I got to pick it up now in Luke 22 once more. Are you ready? Jesus said, so it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Verse 23. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. So this is the negative side of Sheol, the place of departed spirits for the righteous dead and the unrighteous dead. And so we see it used in Psalm 9, verse 17. The wicked shall be turned into hell and the nations that forget God. Isaiah 14, 15, speaking of Lucifer, who is Satan, it says, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol. And the King James Version translates Sheol in that uh, version as hell. So Satan will be brought down to hell to the lowest depths 
of the pit. Now, hell originally, according to Jesus, wasn't even created for folk like us. It was first created for Satan and his angels. Why? Because they fell first. But we ended up on our way there because just like Satan, we were in rebellion against God. But angels weren't made in the image of God. We were. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that you don't have to perish and go to hell. We all, ACDC, on our way to hell. But Jesus stepped in and said, no, 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 no. I can put you on another road if you let me. If you let me. And so this pit is called the bottomless pit in Revelation 9, Revelation 20. And this is the pit where Satan is thrown for a thousand years. The bottomless pit is also called prison in Revelation chapter 20, verse 7, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 19. You see, the rich man went to Hades, a place of unquenchable fire. He was not condemned to hell because he was wealthy. He was condemned to hell because of his unbelief in God, which manifested in his ongoing disregard towards his suffering neighbor. He went to hell because he didn't believe in God, but it showed up day after day when he kept walking by a needy neighbor right out front of his house. So a lot of people say they have faith. A lot of people say they know God. But in the book of James, it's like, okay, you say you got faith. You say you know God. But how about you show me that you know God by your works? Because faith without works is dead. A confession saying that you know God, but you don't live according to his will, especially in loving people, especially the poor. You don't know God. You say you know him, but you don't. And that's why Jesus is going to say to some people on Judgment Day, depart from me, I never knew you. I know you did some stuff in my name, but I don't know who you are. No wonder Paul comes along later and says, y'all best to examine yourself. This ain't nothing to play with. Are you in the faith? This ought to scare the hell out of some of us right now. Don't play with this. Because how we live on earth determines our destiny. Because how we live shows what we really believe in. And there's no way you can say you love God, but you have disdain for your neighbor, especially the poor. Now watch this. The idea that the rich man, because the Pharisees are listening to this story. Jesus, the master storyteller, says that Davies or this rich man went to hell, busted wide open with gasoline drawers on. The idea that the rich man would be excluded from heaven would have insulted the Pharisees because rich people go to heaven and it would have infuriated them. No wonder they wanted to kill Jesus. Religious people put Jesus to death. God allowed that. that it was religious. And that's why Jesus was saying, listen here now, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom ahead of you, religious people. Because your money has gotten in the way. Your pride has gotten in the way. Your religion has gotten in the way of simple childlike faith. My wife preached it last week. Some of you are just too smart for your own selves. God's love is a simple yet powerful love. 
So when the Pharisees heard this thing, man, they were hot. You could fry an egg on their forehead. <laughs> but this would be like saying today in 2017 that conservative, pro-life, right-wing, Republican, Baptist preachers are going to hell when they die unless they repent. If I went up into some churches and I started saying that y'all are going to go to hell, I don't care what title or tag is on your name, but if you don't love the people that God loves, I don't care what you say because entrance into heaven isn't based on right theology. God ain't going to give you a theology test. God's going to want to know, uh, did you feed people who were hungry? Did you clothe people who were naked? Did you give a drink of water to people who were thirsty? Did you visit people who were sick in the hospital? Did you visit people who were in prison? And did you take strangers in? Those are the sheep. The folk who talk it are nothing but goats. And they're going to the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. So I don't know how anyone can say the love of God is in them when they have this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, John says, how does the love of God abide in him? 1 John 3, 17. Okay, you believe, okay, you got theology. The demons got theology. But the demons ain't helping nobody that's hurting. And all these religious people back in the president, all these conservative 81% white evangelicals got the best president they've ever had. And he's trying to shut down health care for people who didn't have an access to it prior. It just don't add up to me how people can be quote unquote pro-life. But really they're just pro-birth. And barely that. Because now being pregnant is a, what's it? It's a, a pre-existing condition. So don't have no tough pregnancy. Because under this act made up with these Christians, they'll cut you off. I know it's not perfect, but man, we can do better than that. Oh my God. Okay, don't move your membership. Stay here. Let's work it out. I love you. Entrance into heaven is based on faith in God. And the evidence of that faith is found in our works, namely our good deeds done towards our neighbors, especially the poor and needy. The man in this passage every day saw that poor man outside his house and all that man wanted was crumbs and he didn't do nothing for him. How can you say the love of God is in your heart? So I got to close. Look at Luke 16, 24. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. Oh, I got to just sit here for one second. While in hell and in a, in, in a disembodied state, the rich man could still see, hear, speak, Touch, taste, remember, and reason. So, and burn. And not burn up. Paying for his sins. 
when God's son had already come to pay for sins. And so because the Pharisees rejected God's son, they paid for their sins for all eternity, and they're still there right now paying for sin. And so in a disembodied state, he still could see and hear and talk and touch and taste. Give me some water, I'm thirsty. He could remember where he came from. But also, he knew who Abraham was, even though he had never met Abraham. Because in heaven or hell, won't be no strangers. You're going to know each other. You're going to have some common things in order. You're going to know each other. Won't be no strangers. Now, while in hell, the rich man still had a condescending attitude towards the poor. You in hell, and you still want somebody to go serve you. Abraham, send Lazarus to get me some water. Man, who you think you are? But that's just like rich, bourgeois, stuck-up, arrogant, rich folk. Thinking everybody beneath them ain't supposed to serve. Man, you put your stuff on one leg at a time. Your stuff stink when you pass gas. Who you think you are? You ain't no better than me because you got some money. Now you in hell and you still think folks supposed to serve you. You done lost your mind. Send Lazarus. Send Lazarus. And then he was like, and send Lazarus to my brothers. So they could, he could tell them, don't come to this place. Man, Lazarus is chilling in Abraham's bosom, healed up, ain't no more sores on his legs. He's standing up. He's having a good time because Abraham is going to say to the rich man, verse 25, but Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, meaning that when you were living, you had every opportunity because you received so much goodness from God to repent and acknowledge where all your blessings come from. But you didn't. You thought you did this. So when you lived on earth, that was the closest to heaven you were going to come. But as Lazarus lived on the earth, whose name means God is my help, especially when these humans don't want to help me out, God is going to be my help. When he went to heaven, he was there. So when he lived on earth, that was the closest to hell he was ever going to experience. So I'd rather be a poor, sick beggar on earth who knows God for the parting of his sins and go to heaven when I die than to be a rich person living in luxury, not know God, and go to hell. Because eternity is long. And heaven must be awesome for God to let some people suffer the way that they do. Because this ain't home. That place we're peeking in, that's home. And so while in hell, he's like, man, go, would you please go and talk to my family so they don't have to come here? And Abraham said, no. No, excuse me. Abraham said to him, verse 29, they have Moses and the prophets. In other words, they got this, the law, the scriptures. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham. Once again, dude, you in hell. Right, right, right. But your arrogance and ignorance, you're going to say no to a patriarch because, again, you used to having your way. Right. You ain't getting your way today. Oh. Ain't no Burger King up in hell. Have it your way. Not today. Not for eternity. It ain't happening. And then Abraham says, uh, 
No, 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 he says Abraham. But if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Now watch how Jesus does this. Because Jesus in the story is saying, if Lazarus were to get up out the grave, go talk to your brothers, they're not going to listen to him because they're not listening to the word of God, the Mo Moses' writing and the prophets. They ain't going to believe if somebody came from the dead. Well, a little bit later, we'll see in the Bible that a man with the name of Lazarus was raised from the dead in John chapter 11. And you would think that if you saw somebody raise somebody from the dead, you would believe. But listen, the Pharisees didn't believe in Lazarus. They wanted to kill him after he resurrected. And they didn't believe in Jesus when he resurrected from the dead. They were like, we're going to pay some money to these soldiers because anything but humble ourselves and believe. No, we're going to keep on believing these lies, convincing ourselves all the way to hell. It's so sad. So in this parable, Jesus said that rich people who love money but don't love God, don't love their neighbors, are going to go to hell. But poor, sick people who have faith in God are going to go to Abraham's bosom. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Those who love money do so at the peril of their own souls. So when a Christian dies, where do we go when our spirit leaves our body? We go to be with the Lord. Right. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. So if I were to die today, don't cry for me long because I'm in the presence of Jesus. But where do unbelievers go when they die? Unbelievers go to hell when they die. Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed unto men once to die and after death the judgment. You will be judged for your sins and you will go to hell awaiting the great white throne judgment found in Revelation chapter 20 because judgment has been committed unto the son. And so when the son sits on the great white throne to judge unbelievers, the Bible says that hell will give up the dead who are in it and they will stand before the Lord and the books will be open and each person will have to give an account for every word and be judged for every sin that they committed. And then the Bible says that hell will be cast into the lake of fire and people will burn forever and ever. Somebody said, Pastor, I don't believe that. Okay, let me tell you this. Ain't no such thing as an unbeliever in hell. They died as an unbeliever. But when they crossed over like that rich man, they became believers but they just couldn't change or alter the course of their eternal destiny. But that's why today is the day of salvation. When you hear the voice of the Lord, don't harden your heart. Acts 13, 48, 
as you stand to your feet. I don't know who's closing in prayer, but come on up. Paul would preach, and the Bible says those who were appointed for salvation believed. Look, if today's your day, accept the appointment and say, Jesus, I want you. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. I repent. I'm turning to you today. And if you make that decision to trust Jesus as your Savior, let somebody know, okay? Call somebody. Come up to me. Shake my hand. But don't play with this. Don't think that you'll do it tomorrow because tomorrow's not promised. If you know, if you're sitting here and you're scared, like I'm sweating because I'm preaching. But if you're sweating and you've been sitting there, it might be because the Spirit of the Lord is saying it's time for you right now to stop living like hell before you go to hell. Repent and come to Jesus Christ. Let him change your life. Let him give you a new life. Let him let you start over again. He'll do that. Who's praying?